Welcome to the Girl Gang Conversations, a podcast that's all about connection, sisterhood, and having conversations that matter. I'm your host, Sarah Stars, and every week I speak to inspiring women about the nitty-gritty of how they live with passion and purpose. We dive deep into our journeys, the obstacles we've overcome, our dreams, what's working for us, and what isn't. We're totally honest about what we're learning, what our daily rituals look like, and what we're struggling with. We don't shy away from the hard stuff, and we really go into it all. Spirituality, personal development, magic, routines, career, friendship, relationships, sexuality, and so much more. The most powerful two words in the English language are, me too, and it's my hope that these conversations help us all feel less alone. This isn't about preachy self-help or self-improvement. It's about self-acceptance and talking about the things that matter to us. Hello, and welcome to The Girl Gang Conversations, episode 86. You can access all of the show notes for this episode at Sarah Stars, that's S-T-A-R-R-S, sarahstars.com slash podcast slash 86. Today's interview is with Nicola Salmon, a fertility coach, acupuncturist, and naturopath. She was diagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome at 16 and told that she would never have children. She made small tweaks to her health while she was training as an acupuncturist and having babies was easy for her. She's passionate about helping other women get pregnant just as easily. We talk about what acupuncture is and how it works, the power of knowing our cycles, the myths that are perpetuated around fat and fertility, and a whole lot of other goodness. Hi, Nicola, how are you? Hi, Sarah, I'm really, really well, thank you. Well, I'm really excited to have you on the show today, and the way that I love to get to know everyone before we dive into your journey and your work and everything that we're going to talk about is just to talk about a typical day in your life, and I'm pretty sure that as an entrepreneur and a mom that that doesn't (laughs) really exist, but... You know, could you tell us what are the routines or rituals that anchor your day and that basic structure that you kind of stick with? So my morning normally begins about five o'clock when my three-year-old bounds into bed. (laughs) (laughs) He's very excited to come and give us a cuddle when he wakes up, even though we've tried millions of different ways of trying to get him to stay in bed till about six, you know, maybe seven. But Yeah. And yeah, and from there, it's pretty crazy. (laughs) Um, we don't really have a routine um, as the day goes on. It's normally just feeding the children, squeezing in time to do some work. I normally kind of do it around their naps. And then in the evening, some days, I can go to work or do some work from home. Um, but the one thing I try and do every day is to try and just get in a little bit of meditation. Mm-hmm. And also try and make sure I drink enough water and eat a few vegetables just to kind of really stick to the very basics because if I don't do that, you know, it all, all hell breaks loose and I get tired and I get grumpy. So I just have to try and make sure I hit those three key, you know, veggies, water and meditation no matter where they come in the day. That's so, so interesting to have those just like really basic non-negotiables. I like that approach to self-care and to kind of, you know, it's not a routine, but you kind of know the things that you need. Yeah, and if I don't get those things, I completely notice the difference you know the next day or two I just you know feel really groggy and I don't sleep as well so I've been really trying to kind of 
be dedicated about fitting those things in. So what I do normally the evening before is just try to plan out when the easiest time to do my meditation is, make sure I've got enough food in. I really try and set it up so it's easy for myself the next day rather than like panicking about, oh my God, I haven't done it and it's last thing at night and I'm tired. Yeah. But yeah, planning as well is really helpful. And have you had your business before you had children or have you started it since you became a mom? So I started, so I'm an acupuncturist um, by training initially and I started my acupuncture practice before I had babies with the plan that I'd work kind of around children once I had them. And then as I was practicing, I was practicing with more and more women who were struggling with fertility issues. And that's when I had the idea. So once I'd had my first child, kind of, I thought I could really help more people if I grew this online and was able to reach more women. So that's where my whole kind of online practice grew from once I'd had my first child, who's now, he's just turned three. So yeah, the online stuff I've been doing, I've had my three-year-old and I have a one-year-old as well so I've been growing my babies while I've been growing my business I love that and I I think that's one of the things that I'm most anxious about is going back to work is um I'm really grateful that I have that I can work from home and that means that I can work around having children and and kind of around their schedules as much as possible but how do you what kind of things do you have in place like obviously we had to plan this interview carefully because you've got certain times of day when you've got time to yourself and I think that's like kind of how I'll have to navigate things as well as having childcare for even if it's just a few hours a few times a week to have help but what kind of things have you put in place that allow you to have a like kind of minimum amount of time on your business when you know you're kind of the children are taken care of so I think systems has been a big learning curve for me so getting things like a social media scheduler getting some VA hours and virtual assistant hours it's all been a big learning curve but kind of I've come to realize that the more help you can get with things like that and just automating things as much mm-hmm. as you can then you can focus on the things that you love like helping my clients being creative it just takes away all that kind of gunk of all the admin and the managing your accounts and all that other stuff yeah absolutely and so I mean I guess going back to basics can you tell us more about the work that you do with your company Hedgehog Healing? Yeah so I'm an acupuncturist and naturopath initially by training so I use all those skills that I learned about natural medicine and now I'm applying them to a program which I've created Um, it's a 12-week program aimed at women who are trying to get pregnant have been struggling a little bit or they're going through IVF and they just want some support And it's all based around natural healing techniques, things like mindfulness, looking at mindsets. So it's a real host of all the different things that I've learned help with my patients and um, doing different coaching aspects as well. I did a training course on fertility coaching. So it's all around support and help, really, just helping these women find out what's going to help them. Because there's so much information out there when you're trying to get pregnant and it's really overwhelming. So it's just figuring out what you need and what you can just leave behind. Yeah, absolutely. And so what was your journey that led you to helping women with their fertility specifically? So when I was about 16, um, I'd suffered from really irregular periods. I'd maybe had one or two periods from when I was about 13 to 16. So I went to the doctors. 
they didn't know what was wrong they were just like oh we'll leave it see what happens and eventually I got diagnosed with something called polycystic ovary syndrome mm-hmm. um, which is like a, it's a metabolic condition and all your hormones are a bit out of whack it means you put on weight um, you get kind of acne excess hair growth all these fun things when you're a teenage girl um, and the doctor turned around to me when she diagnosed me and said that I'd never have children which when I look back at it now, I didn't really process it. So it, it, I mean, it didn't really affect me kind of on a day-to-day basis. But when I look back as to how I was at that age, you know, in my late teens, my school grades dropped, my confidence in my body dropped. Um, I just, you know, kind of, it definitely affected me in ways that I wasn't really aware of back then. And as I studied, um, I went on to university, studied um, something called medical physics, which is kind of x-rays, MRI, that kind of thing. And when I was working at the hospital where I was doing my master's, um, this guy got shot outside my flat, which was pretty crazy and traumatic. Um, And I saw this, it's all happening when it was in the middle of the night because my bedroom watched out onto the road. And as a result of that, I suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder. And that's when I got into natural medicine because I tried um, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, which didn't help me. I tried taking antidepressants as well, which didn't help. So in the end, I just I was going past a, a clinic and went in, asked what would help with depression. Um, they recommended acupuncture. I went to about six or seven sessions and I was able to leave the house again. I was able to go back to work. So immediately I was like, whoa, what's this crazy medicine? So I signed up for a course and the rest is history. That's how I kind of got onto the whole natural medicine. And then with all my background in my polycystic ovary syndrome, I thought when we were ready to start having a family that it would be really difficult because the doctor told me I'd never be able to have children. My periods are still very irregular. I was still overweight, still suffering from you know hormonal symptoms. So I thought it would be really difficult. But actually for us, it was really easy because I think due to the fact that I'd made all these tiny little changes as I was studying natural medicine as I was having acupuncture and I think those things made a really big difference to my health even subtly the kind of things like drinking bottled water rather than tap water because of the hormones involved you know reducing the toxins that I have in my cleaning products and in my face products um, choosing organic meat and eating more vegetables you know really simple things like that that everybody can quite do quite easily I think had a really big impact on my health and that's why I've chosen to work with women who are suffering from fertility issues because I really want it to be that easy for everybody I don't think it should you know I I really want it to be really easy I don't want them to have to suffer like this the way that I potentially could have and I was really expecting to yeah absolutely I mean I feel really lucky I mean I don't have um, any kind of chronic issue with my hormones, but I did. I was suffering with um, different hormonal imbalances that I think had been probably caused by adrenal fatigue and burnout, and and they were causing you know different physical symptoms like weight gain and and depression. And I feel really lucky that before we'd even started trying to conceive, that I was working with a nutritionist, um, and dealing with those issues naturally. And you know, had gotten things balanced out, and and as a result of trying to 
um, monitor how things were growing. She already had me doing things like taking my basal body temperature in the morning. So when yeah. we did try and conceive, it happened a lot more quickly than we were <laughs> expecting it to, which was amazing. And I feel not guilty exactly, but sometimes when you know talking with other people about their conception journeys, it's it's almost like ours was too easy. But I think having thought about those things around my hormones and around tracking my cycle so early on and having so much data around when I would ovulate and, and those kind of things was so empowering. When we did decide, I was like, well, I know it's going to be now and <laughs> just get down to business. It makes all the difference, just that knowledge. And we're not, in, in the UK schools at least, we're not really taught about how to track our menstrual cycles. No. We're taught that that's useful or really relevant. So a lot of people don't know kind of when they're ovulating or if they do they don't really understand that they can actually try to have a baby before they ovulate and that the sperm will last yeah. you know up to three or four days in their uterine area so that they don't have to worry about having sex exactly on ovulation and worrying about you know getting that three hour window or whatever so it's there's a lot of myths and a lot of uncertainties around it which I think you know stress people out and worry people unnecessarily yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I've there's a couple of episodes on here on the podcast with Lisa Lister and one with my friend Claire Baker, where we talk a lot about tracking your cycle. And I found it empowering, you know, beyond fertility, but in terms of kind of like designing my life and, and knowing how my energy will fluctuate throughout the month. But absolutely, like, I didn't really know those things until I started to do a little bit of digging and then realizing, yeah, like, there's almost a week where you can be having sex every day and it could be you know before you ovulate not quite a week but that you know the few days before and the day after you've got um you're still fertile and I think I get that they're not teaching us those things in school because they don't want us to get pregnant at that age but there's just like when is that when are we supposed to get that knowledge then that's it you know there's no real other time when we're going to have formal education in that way and like you say you know being able to plan your your life around it and being able to know when you're going to be more energized to do things and when that's you need to slow down and not be doing you know physical exercise or just taking it easy it's so important I really I read a really interesting study the other day actually um they looked at women prisoners and they found that a lot of them committed their crimes in the week before their menstrual cycle which was fascinating so just giving them that information and empowering them with that knowledge you know could make a huge difference yeah, when I think that I've only had that kind of knowledge about myself for the past two years, maybe, and how crazy that I thought I was and like unstable kind of for so long because I didn't realize that I was pushing myself too hard at a time in the month when I shouldn't be pushing so hard and when and, and the kind of like um, knock on effect that that would have for the rest of the month and, and having that kind of, yeah, having that empowerment to realize oh, actually, this is completely normal fluctuations and I can work with it in a way that's really empowered and helps me to, to feel even more fulfilled in life rather than seeing it as some kind of weakness and, and something that's, like, holding you back, really. It's amazing. And just knowing yourself as well, like, okay, this day is going to be crazy for me or I need to prep myself with three bars of chocolate and have in the house before that day because I know I'll feel awful that day. It's just, you know, preparing yourself and being able to look after yourself in that way I think is amazing absolutely and I do want to talk a lot more about the work that you do around fertility but the first I thought it would be interesting to talk a little bit more about acupuncture I was telling you before Mm -hmm. we started recording that um, acupuncture really helped me early on in my pregnancy when my sciatica pain was just starting and now um, I'm making some more appointments um, now that the pain is getting really debilitating Um, 
but I, ha- I feel like I, I went into acupuncture feeling quite cynical. And even though anyone who listens to this podcast will know that, like, I fully embrace the woo, but I just don't get it, I guess. Like, people, I almost feel sheepish when I tell people, like, that I'm spending money on acupuncture because I don't understand what's happening. All that I know is that within 24 hours of the session, like, the pain went away and stayed away for a week. And and she had said, you know, with some follow-up sessions that it would continue to decrease. Um, But then it was Christmas and I moved and I didn't have any more sessions. I'm, I'm like quite positive about doing it again, but I just think, yeah, there, there seems to be a lot of kind of misinformation about acupuncture and like not a very full understanding of what it does or why it works by the general public. So could you just fill us in a little bit about like, what is acupuncture? Yeah, of course. So my first experience with it was when my dad got it and my dad is like the least woo-woo person you have ever <laughs> met in your entire life. He is a plumber by trade. He is, you know, a proper northern kind of man who just does his work. You know, he's a laborer and he's been doing that ever since he was really young. Um, And he has a really bad back, partly from work and partly because when he was about 16, I think he jumped off a bridge. And, you know, as crazy teenage boys do crazy things um, and did his back in. And that acupuncture was the only thing that ever helped his back pain. So... That was my first experience with it. You know, my dad, who's completely not into anything spiritual, religious, anything, you know, completely to do with this at all. And him having a really good response to that. So when I had it myself, I was really intrigued as to how it worked and why it worked. And throughout my training, it took a a long while to kind of get into that frame of mind because it works very different from Western medicine. So it's based on around an Eastern medicine principle, which is um, kind of from China, Japan, Korea. Um, and it works on the principles of energetics. So a bit like reflexology, they're all kind of working in the same realm of the the theory that all disease, all ill health comes from an imbalance in, me- in energy. So all the acupuncture points where your acupuncture is to pop the needles in are on different channels which run through the body and there's 12 main channels and what you're doing when you're popping the needles in is trying to unblock certain channels or help the body bring focus to a particular channel of energy if there's a kind of imbalance so maybe there's less energy there than there should be or you need to do more nourishing so there's lots of different ways that you can work with that energy but the overall principle is that any disease that comes from the body is a result of this imbalance in energy. So you're just working with that energy to readdress that balance. The problem is that this paradigm of medicine is really very different from Western medicine. So applying Western medicine clinical trials, for example, or any way of monitoring how it works doesn't always kind of correlate. It doesn't work in the same way. So if you're doing... The gold standard in Western medicine is a double-blind clinical trial. And um, by doing that in acupuncture, it's very difficult to be able to recreate that double-blindness because your acupuncturist is going to know whether they're sticking the needles in the right places or the wrong places. They're going to know if they're sticking a needle in or whether they're just using a sham needle. So it's very difficult to actually measure the results. There's trials that they've done to see if it does work have been really positive but it's very difficult to to really measure so and obviously with eastern medicine there's not kind of pharmaceutical companies who are able to 
sponsor trials. It's just a group of acupuncturists kind of in the UK and the world who are doing this medicine and we don't have the same resources. So finding, doing proper research, doing proper trials is slow but steady and there is a lot of positive information out there but it's difficult to be able to to kind of pinpoint exactly in Western medicine how it's working. Yeah, Some of the ideas are around kind of stress relief, rebalancing hormones, bringing blood flow to the correct areas. But again, it's there's nothing kind of set in stone about this is exactly how acupuncture works. I was really interested to see that the NHS does actually recommend that uh, acupuncture can be helpful for alleviating certain symptoms, including sciatic pain and I think morning sickness in pregnancy and they do say like there aren't significant trials on this yet but the the evidence that is there is helpful and that there is um one hs nhs website that i was looking at that was saying that even some um gps will have training in in acupuncture and offer it in gp surgeries which i was really surprised to hear and that's quite um yeah just nice to know that it is growing in um in kind of mainstream ways as well yeah, definitely. Um, I know quite a few GPs now who are starting to study not just the so there's two there's the the traditional acupuncture and there's also a Western version of acupuncture, which is based on kind of relaxing muscles by targeting purely the muscular region. And a lot of the GPs are actually studying the Eastern version rather than the more acceptable Western version. So that's really promising. And quite a few of my patients um, are actually doctors, which is really nice. Oh, wow. <laughs> And so when you are doing an acupuncture session, you're talking about kind of changing the flow of energy in the body. Mm. And so often when we hear things like that, like, you know, you hear about like Reiki and that kind of stuff where people are kind of, quote unquote, reading the energy of the body. So are you doing that, like sensing someone's energy and understanding where blockages are? Or if I came in and told you I have sciatica pain rather than needing to kind of sense my body in particular, you would know that sciatica pain is caused by... Um, blockages in certain areas or whatever kind of imbalances that might be and like do you know do you know what I mean is it based on Mm, the the symptoms or is it based on kind of like a reading of the body so we look at the whole body so it's not just your sciatic pain we'd look more we'd look at every different part of your body as a whole so things like your digestive system how that's working how your sleep's working your mood all different aspects of your body to get a full picture, a complete picture. Because in Chinese medicine, with its the systems aren't as reductive as in Western medicine. So you don't just look at one part. Your the reason for your sciatic pain may be it might give other symptoms such as um, it could be affecting your sleep. You could be struggling to sleep. It could be affecting how your um, digestive systems working so you could have a sluggish gut so we look at all the different aspects and put them together to make a diagnosis um, so you could have five different people with sciatic pain and they'll all have a different diagnosis in Chinese medicine because of the other symptoms that they've got surrounding it and we also look at um, the tongue which can give interesting information about the body and the pulse so again those two tools can lead us to a diagnosis of kind of how they look and how they feel to give us a, a, a rounder picture of the energy to see what's going on. That's really interesting. And so you do that by collecting information like from the client? Yeah, yeah. so a full case history of what's been going on for you, like how your pregnancy's been, what other symptoms have come up for you, 
how your periods were before you got pregnant, kind of everything that's going on with your health right now would be important and useful information. So shifting gears, I think that I heard that you're working on a book about, you know, and it's been interesting being in um, some Facebook groups of, you know, new moms and women who are pregnant Mm -hmm. and, and just the way that women who are overweight and trying to conceive or who have conceived are treated so differently from the way that I've experienced my pregnancy and the way that, um, you know, like my midwife and and my health practitioners have treated me. Um, And so, you know, you were writing this book about, I think, Mm -hmm. um, dispelling some myths myths around fat and fertility and why why when you're struggling to conceive that that losing weight might not be the answer. I was curious if you could just dive into that a little bit and just tell us, like, what are some of those myths that are being perpetuated about fat and fertility? Oh, yeah, it's such a passion project for me, this, because I've been overweight my whole life. Um, And my pregnancy experiences were, I mean, they weren't awful, but they weren't ideal. And because I was deemed high risk throughout both my pregnancies, I was put through tests that I wasn't really comfortable with um and I wasn't I really had to fight to to get the, the birthing options that I wanted to so I wanted to have a home birth with my first son you know, I wanted to have a water birth and it was very very difficult and I had to fight quite hard to get those things um because I was deemed very high risk and that I was at risk of all these other things which when I looked into the research behind it there wasn't actually any evidence that these extra risks might occur during my birth. So, yeah, that was a really steep learning curve for me as to actually really questioning and really delving into what's behind these statements that the doctor's giving me or my midwife's giving me. Um, And so in the end, I I did fight for for the birth that I wanted, but it was stressful, which Mm -hmm. is stress that I didn't really need when I was, you know, like 36 weeks pregnant. Um, and And it did affect kind of how my birth went because in the end I didn't get the pregnant the birth that I wanted due to I was going over time and in the end I had meconium in my waters which means that my baby had pooed which can be a sign of stress as well so you just really don't know how these things are interplaying together um so that really encouraged me to be looking more at you know actually am I being treated differently purely because I'm overweight and not because of these deemed high risk factors um and so many people that because I suffer from PCOS and I do write quite a lot about it um I was getting all these women who were coming to ask for my help to work with me who also suffer from PCOS and it made me realize that actually it's not all about the losing weight and they were telling me all these stories about how they were being denied treatment because they were three pounds overweight four pounds over this line that they were told they had to cross which made me so mad because it's all based on um bmi which is the measure of your you know how overweight you are but this the the tool of bmi isn't really even fit for purpose yeah it's a tool you know measured on averages um of a population it's not really meant to be to be used on a one-to-one basis um to look at someone's individual health so it just it just made me so cross that these women were being denied treatment, being denied IVF, any health, any tests, just because of their weight. And I don't think there is any evidence to suggest that the weight is the overbearing factor. The weight can be another symptom 
of a metabolic condition or a hormonal condition of something that's going on. But though I don't think, and that obviously when you lose weight, that can then impl- you know improve your hormonal condition. And obviously there's all these factors and complicated kind of interplays of all your different hormones and everything going on. But I think it's really unfair for women to to be denied all these treatments and things purely on their weight and not on their health. So I think the doctor should be looking at you know how healthy are they eating are they exercising are they are they living a healthy lifestyle and um, rather than okay you're one pound over over this limit that we've been given so therefore we cannot help you and the problem as well is that they're not being given any information so they're being just sent away with lose three pounds lose 10 pounds and they're not being given any nutritional advice they're not being given any support or recommendations so they're just being left to it and i think that's so sad and these women already feel guilty and guilty enough and bad about their bodies and now they're being told that the reason they can't have help to get pregnant is because they're fat and unworthy and you know it basically plays into their insecurities about their bodies anyway which makes things 10 times worse because now they feel even guiltier that they can't lose these 10 pounds five pounds however many pounds to get to their pregnancy which is you know at the end of the day what they want most in the world and it's just horrible (laughs) it's a horrible horrible situation it is, and it's quite shocking. Like, and I, I, I've been surprised how some of the claims that even not in high risk pregnancy, but some of the advice that you're given and the the things that you're told, like a lot of it's not based on actual uh, rigorous studies, mm. which is even interesting. The things like don't eat this or don't yeah. eat that, don't drink this. You know, it's. I think there's a really, I can't remember the name of the book, but there's a really interesting book that kind of dispels quite a lot of those myths. And she looked into all the research behind yeah. all these listeria, frightening things. And, and most of it was a load of old bullshit. It was just like all these outdated studies or unreliable studies. And it feeds into women's fears about, you know, we've got to do this to be the best, you know, it's basically just feeding on women's fears of they want to be the best possible mum. And if you're eating cheese, that makes you a bad mother already and it's just oh it's awful it is i don't know if it's the same book that you read but i read one called expecting better and it sounds quite similar it's by an, a female economist and so she wasn't willing to take some sort of like offhand advice with no um, evidence to back it up because obviously she's used to there being rigorous data to support her work and so yeah. she went rigorously into this data and i found it fascinating um yeah and like just how, because um, I'm Canadian by birth, but live in the UK, so I'm obviously getting you um, the UK NHS recommendations. And in mm. some ways, they're quite good in that they have stopped. The only things I think they tell you not to eat are pate and um, soft cheeses. Mm. Whereas in Canada, apparently, when my brother's girlfriend had her um, had her baby a couple of years ago, she was told she couldn't drink any coffee. Like, oh yeah, like all of these things where I was like, there's just that. That's so outdated. We don't have any evidence to suggest that you should be completely denying yourself caffeine. It's mad. Yeah, it's very frustrating. And I think, obviously, when it comes to actually denying women fertility treatment over their weight or putting these kind of different expectations on them throughout pregnancy, it just seems so shocking and unfair. It does. And, I mean, the thing is, like, we have evidence to suggest that, you know, men also have play a role yeah exactly (laughs) Um, and their diet and their you know their health overall will have a big impact too but there is no talk about you know men getting fit and men losing weight and it is all focused around women and to be honest I'm just 
I'm so sick of it. I'm just so sick of these women being denied essential things and being made, made to feel like crap because of this. And I just, yeah, I'm going to be doing a lot more work and research about this, but I really want to change it and, you know, make it fair for all women. And if they need the help, then they should get the support that they need because the support is just not there. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're working with women who maybe are have been in this situation um, or being told to lose weight in order to be able to conceive, what do you work with them instead? Like it, you, you mentioned things like diet and exercise, but are, are those the primary things that you would work with or is, is acupuncture part of it? Like what does that look like with your clients? So for the clients that are close to me, then I definitely encourage them to, to come and see me for acupuncture as well. Um, because I can address it a lot more quickly when I can get there physically. But there's so much that you can do yourself. Um, and that's why I created an online program too, because it's just the whole program is around really going internally and being self-aware and finding out what's good for you and what will be helpful for you. So it's not about cal- calorie counting. It's not about trying to lose weight. It's about seeing what you're eating, sure, and being aware of what you're eating and then using that information to make informed decisions about, you know, how often you're eating and are there any foods that, you know, aren't good for your health? You know, do you, do you have coffee at 5 p.m. at night and then struggle to sleep? It's really about connecting in everything that's going on in your lifestyle and seeing what impact it has on your health. And I think only once you realize the impact of things that have on your health can you then make an informed decision about whether you want to continue doing it or not. Yeah. And just being aware of what you're eating, like so many people walk around with their eyes closed and, you know, they'll have um, five biscuits at work and they'll have something else. And until you see it on paper, you don't realize what you're eating. And as soon as you understand what's going in, you can maybe begin to realize, okay, well, maybe I don't want to eat that much sugar every day. Or if I start to look at the packets of things that I'm eating, you know, prepaid meals, um, pre-prepared meals and other things that you might not realize there's sugar in them or you might not realize how much, you know, different foods are in there so or they could be hiding wheat in there and maybe wheat's not good for your digestive system and so it's all just about bringing all that information together and you know looking at your cycle as well and how that fits in with it all and looking at what's best for your body because everybody's body is different and everybody will need different things to help them feel well Mm, absolutely and so obviously you mentioned how when women are being told that that their weight is an issue for their fertility, that obviously that's just like really playing on their insecurities. And I know part of your message is that actually feeling comfortable in your skin can help improve your health and fertility. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about why that's true. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're feeling guilty about yourself, if you have, and so many of us have so many body insecurities and so many Um, feelings of stress around our body and panic about what we're eating I spent most of my teenage years 20s focused on about everything that I was putting in my mouth and how I looked and how I was perceived by other people that is a lot of energy that goes into worrying about how everybody else thinks about me and by using that energy constructively you know to to look at yourself and to calm yourself you know to feel less stressed about the whole situation and to feel less anxious and less worried about your body you know you create a more receptive environment for pregnancy so there's a really interesting a really basic kind of stressed versus relaxed 
scenario. So when you're stressed, your body is in that fight or flight mode. So it's in that, oh my God, there's a tiger running across the horizon to try and eat me. Because that's kind of where we're still at with our basic survival mode. And if you're in that chronic fight or flight stress scenario, your body's giving all its nutrients, all its energy to your muscles. So you're ready to run to your heart so it can pump blood around your body faster. And um, it's not sending it to your stomach because it doesn't need to digest food right now. And it's not sending it to your reproductive organs because it doesn't need to have a baby right now because it's so worried about staying alive. So being in that stress state is really bad for your digestion, which is why we get so many cases of IBS when people are stressed out and really bad for your fertility. So getting into that calmed, relaxed, you know, obviously it's so cliched advice. You just need to relax. I mean, there's so much more to it than that, but your body being in a more receptive frame of frame of mind and frame of being, your body will be able to then use its nutrients to digest its food, to heal the body and to reproduce. So that's kind of the really simplistic version of it. And so obviously when you're, you know, when you're trying to have a baby, it's something you're so passionate about. Mm-hmm. And so if you're struggling, it's obviously can feel absolutely devastating and helpless and and bring up so much emotions. And I'm just wondering, like, you know, what either advice or encouragement would you offer to someone who's maybe struggling to conceive right now? I think it's just to get support, to really find someone that you can talk to about it, whether it's your partner, whether it's your mum, whether it's your friend, whether it's someone else you know that's been going through it or been through it. Really get some that someone that you can talk to because being able to share what you're going through and not having to bottle it up is so so important it's still such a taboo subject to talk about you know struggling to get pregnant because it brings up so many emotions about you know am I not you know am I not a woman you know because being pregnant and being a mother can you know so inherent with our view of women in society so it makes you feel so guilty that you can't get pregnant you know you feel like it's all your fault you feel like you're unworthy or shamed so just being able to have someone to talk to um and air those feelings and you know get you know even not advice but just get someone to listen to you and to say you know I can hear you I'm here for whatever you need is so reassuring and just it can clear that space so that you can begin to make more helpful steps in the right direction because it can feel so overwhelming to be in that place and to not know what to do yeah absolutely So just clearing it all out and getting it out of your head is a really good place to start so there are a couple of questions I like to ask every guest before we wrap up the interview um so focusing back maybe more on on yourself and your life when it comes to your own personal development what are you working on learning or implementing right now So at the moment, I'm really focusing on trying to take time for myself, which is so hard as a mum and so hard as a business owner because you really want to be all in on everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So just this weekend gone, I actually went away for the weekend. I took myself on my laptop, maybe about 20 minutes down the road to an Airbnb and just had time out I just did what I need just what I wanted to do on my business I didn't have a particular plan so 
just focused on taking some time out because as an introvert that's what I need I need time out I need space for myself and having two small boys who constantly want to wrestle me to the ground and <laughs> climb all over me is wonderful but at the same time it's like oh my god need some space so just really honoring that in myself and really trying to find however I can get that out there Oh, good for you. I mean, I think that's hard even sometimes without kids to just really make that space for yourself. And so I imagine it must be 10 times harder. Oh, gosh. But yeah, so worth it. I mean, I'm a, I'm such a better mum now and I come back and just I can give them my attention again because I'm not feeling as like overwhelmed and like, don't touch me mode. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing, isn't it? It can feel so selfish to like take any time for yourself, but actually it's better for everyone in the long run. But yeah, getting over those feelings at first is quite tricky, but it's so worth it. And so this next one could be absolutely anything like frivolous or serious, like spiritual or work related. Um, what's one thing that you're obsessed with these days that's making your life better? Ooh. I'm all about the apps at the moment because I'm trying to find like everything that I can do to make my life easier. Mm -hmm. So I've got loads of apps that I'm kind of like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm using so much. So my favorites at the moment, there's one called Here and Now, which is like a guided breathing app, mm -hmm. which is basically just like, it's three minutes of meditation, which, you know, even I can find three minutes in the day just to sit and do. And it basically just tells you when to breathe in and breathe out. And it sounds really simple. But it's so effective and what it does is it measures your heart rate so it can track your little heartbeat which is very cool oh, wow. um what else oh there's another really good one called think up which is where you um you record yourself talking positive affirmations and then it plays it back to you with some pretty calm music to kind of do some good like affirmations which is a really easy way of fitting them in because i can literally just press play on this app and it does my meditation uh, affirmations back at me so that's a really good one too. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant too. Because sometimes you like, you know, you've got a really good list of affirmations in a book or something, but it's it's way more powerful to to have them spoken out loud and stuff, and not to have yeah. to kind of race around for the book every time. Especially in your own voice. And if you're just sat kind of, and you don't have, you know, have what five minutes to do something, then it's just like, yeah, I can be doing this. It's really good. And one other one is a Lucky Bitch app. Oh yeah. I don't know if you've seen that one before. It's like. You, you track all the, the beautiful things that come into your life, all your abundance. So I found 20p on the on the pavement on the way back from nursery today. So I was popping that in my pocket and putting it on my abundance app. So that's a, a really, again, a really quick and easy way of doing all these wonderful spiritual things that I want to do, but like including them realistically into my life at the moment has been really helpful. Yeah, I love that. Of like, you know, you've got your phone all the time, so now why not kind of harness it for those good things? that's it you know it's always on me that's the one thing I've got on me at all times so any quick hacks that I've got has been life-saving at the moment and so as we wrap up for anyone who feels drawn to how can people work with you or support your work so um, I work one-to-one -one with people but I also have an online course which is starting um, in September um, so you can sign up for the waitlist on my website which is hedgehoghealing.com I also have a journal which I've um, designed and published, which is really a really easy way to track your what you're eating, what your what exercise you're doing, and looking at how all your body works together to get information about you know what you need to change in your 
diet and lifestyle and that's called the nurture fertility journal you can pick that up on amazon or any other online bookstore oh fantastic well i'll have the links to those in the show notes as well thank you so much nicola it's been such a pleasure speaking with you today oh it's been wonderful thank you so much sarah you can find the show notes for this episode at sarahstars.com slash podcast slash 86. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you enjoyed it, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. It will make a huge difference in helping me make big things happen with this podcast and reaching even more people who can benefit from these conversations. You can write whatever you want in the review. So why not let me know what you're obsessed with lately or who you'd like me to interview next? And don't forget, if you want to have conversations like the ones that we do on the podcast in a safe and supportive environment, please join us in Girl Gang HQ, our private Facebook group. Okay, so our next interview is with Veronica Jans. Veronica's on a mission to empower women to unapologetically live their lives through kink and BDSM. To her, kink and BDSM are vessels that take people on a transformative journey to become their most confident, empowered, and enlightened self. We talk about what BDSM and kink are, Veronica dispels the many myths that are perpetuated about BDSM and shares what it looks like to live in a 24-7, dominant-submissive relationship with her partner. Just a reminder that these episodes have been pre-recorded before my maternity leave and that we're now on a bi-weekly episode schedule. Until then, grab your girl gang and have a conversation that matters.